Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Genesis 25 begins the saga of Isaac's twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Harry, also known as Esau, was the firstborn, and he just wanted dad's approval. Trip, also known as Jacob, came along second in the birth order. He was naturally competitive and shared that spirit with his brother, always trying to get ahead. But his desire to have nice things, to have better things, his desire for the best led him for a desire for more and more and eventually a desire for all. What do you do when you realize, though, that you can't compete? Well, if you're like Jacob, that's when you start to cheat. In Genesis 25, Jacob cheats his brother out of a spiritual birthright so that he can be blessed by God. In Genesis 26, the next chapter, he'd heard family stories of doing whatever it took to get ahead, as in risking the relationships of family like Isaiah did with his wife in trying to pawn her off as his sister. And then in Genesis 27, he allows himself to be talked into a scheme by his own mother of how to have it all. All they had to do is deceive his dad, cheat his brother, and then they could have everything they always wanted. And as is often the case in life, when you try to have it all, you end up losing everything. And that's the scenario that we walk into by the time we get to Genesis chapter 27 and verse 41. As a result of this, it comes as no surprise to read these words. Esau hated his brother Jacob because he'd stolen the blessing that was supposed to be his. As soon as my father dies, I'll kill Jacob, he said. So to save his life, Jacob lives on the run in another country for over 20 years. It's not uncommon for your worries to show up in your dreams at night, assuming you can ever get to sleep. And clearly, as we kind of review Jacob's dream that first night when he's on the run, you can tell that what he's really wondering is, what good is God now? Jacob's worried that he's really messed up his whole life and lost everything that meant anything. He's alienated himself from his family. And what good does an inheritance do if you're not around to collect it because you're on the run in another country? What good is a spiritual blessing from God if you've just run away from everything that represented God? And so when you get to Genesis 28, in verse 13, 14, and 15, you read these words. God comes to him in the middle of the night in a dream with these words, I am the Lord God who was worshipped by Abraham and Isaac. I'll give to you and your family the land on which you're now sleeping. Your family will be a blessing to all people. Wherever you go, I'll watch over you. I won't leave you. I will do all that I have promised. And then in verse 16, his conclusion when he wakes up, well, the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. You see, Jacob wakes up with that renewed sense of commitment in his life. I need to live my life trusting God. He really is with me. He really won't watch over me. But at the same time, still old habits are hard to die. And so his devotion to God 
comes with some expectations or stipulations for God. Like, if you go with me, if you keep me from harm, if you give me everything I need, if you bring me back here, then you'll be my God. Versus, I'll be your servant, God, no matter what. And then I'll give you 10%. Worried that he may have lost everything while trying to have it all, Jacob keeps moving forward with renewed faith, though, that maybe, just maybe, God is still with me. Maybe, just maybe, God will still bless me. In Genesis 29, it tells of his eventual arrival at his uncle Laban's place. He's overwhelmed that God has watched over him and guided him when he didn't really even know if he'd make it at all. He starts kissing everybody he meets, you know, and maybe, maybe now, maybe now he can finally breathe deeply and relax. Maybe now he can make a fresh start of his life. Maybe he can even start his own family. You see, it's here that we start to see this shift, not just from the sibling rivalry of Jacob and Esau, but now into a sibling rivalry that also developed from the birth order with Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Their self-esteem depended on what others thought of them. Am I good enough usually was equal to Am I as good as you? A birth order understanding kind of plays out something like this. The firstborn usually feels accepted if they're compliant to their parents. I obey the rules, therefore I'm loved. By the time the secondborn comes on the scene, their understanding of how to gain acceptance is not through compliance, but through competing with the firstborn. And if they have to break the rules to do it, they will, because they're just as desperate to be loved. And depending on how many other kids there are, by the time you get to the baby of the family, their, their understanding is simply this. Rules? What rules? Everybody loves me. Now, that may or may not have been your experience, and by now you probably have already elbowed the baby of the family sitting closest to you. But the story of sibling rivalry is seen not just in Jacob and Esau, but now in sisters Leah and Rachel, becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that they struggle with the same issues of, am I good enough? In Genesis 29, verse 16 and 17, it simply states it this way in the contemporary English version. Laban had two daughters. Leah was older than Rachel, but her eyes didn't sparkle. Every now and then you run into a, a, a comparing translation where you find a verse like this, where how it phrases it in one translation is completely different than how it phrases it in a different translation. For example, speaking of Leah and her eyes, one translation says that she had weak eyes, or maybe they were cross-eyed, or maybe she had a lazy eye. And yet another translation would say that Leah had attractive eyes. One translation says she had dull eyes, where another translation says that she had sparkling eyes. One will say, well, she had just ordinary eyes, as opposed to another one that would kind of make it sound like, well, she's got a good personality. She's got nice eyes. Imagine, though, the impact of growing up 
for Leah, knowing that everyone else compared her to her little sister, Rachel. It says in verse 17, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. When Rachel walked by, the response was probably something like this old song from the Commodores. There was a conversation heard in church one day between two ladies sitting in a pew behind the pastor's family. One of them leaned over to the one beside her and rather loudly uh, half whispered, that's one of the pastor's daughters. She's not the one who's P-R-E-T-T-Y. Just like that, the young girl turned around in a pew, looked at him, cocked her head, and she says, no, but she is the one who can S-P-E-L-L. Sometimes we're pretty sensitive to that comparison to our siblings because it's constantly drilled into us, am I good enough? Well, we shouldn't be too surprised, of course, to discover that Jacob, being a typical guy, noticed Rachel, and he wanted to marry Rachel. So he approaches her dad, Laban, and asks, what do I have to do to get her hand in marriage? Laban gives him permission on this condition. If you'll work for me for seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And so it says in Genesis 29, verse 20, that Jacob worked seven years for Laban, and the time seemed like only a few days because he loved Rachel so much. I'll pause here to let the ladies in the audience go, ah, and the guys will just shake their heads seven years. You know, what's funny is there's some indication to believe that the standard amount of time to work for the daughter of someone was only two years. So good old Uncle Laban was really laying it on pretty thick for Jacob. The time passes quickly, though, like it said, because he was that much in love with Rachel. And it says then in verse 23 of Genesis 29 that that night, the night of his wedding, after dark, Laban brought his daughter to Jacob. The only problem was it wasn't his daughter Rachel. It was his daughter Leah. The verse says that they consummated the marriage that night, and when morning came, he realized it was Leah. I would imagine, before we get too concerned about why wouldn't he have recognized her difference, you might consider this veiled image as an indication of how hard that may have been, especially after dark, in a tent. You've got to wonder how long it took Jacob to realize, though, so this is what it feels like to be deceived. This is what it feels like to be cheated. This is what my father must have felt. This is what my brother must have felt. But he doesn't give up. He immediately goes to his father-in-law demanding answers. And Laban simply kind of blows it off with this in verse 26. In our country, the oldest daughter must get married first. Finish the week with Leah. And then I'll give you Rachel. But you'll have to work for another seven years for me. 
Not only has Leah been rejected by Jacob, but she's now treated just like a consolation prize by her father Laban. It's almost like, you know, finish the BOGO week, buy one, get one, and with this one, and then I'll throw in the other one for free, except it'll be for another seven years. Sounds like probably all the makings of a great honeymoon, huh, guys? A bitter groom that's resentful, an unloved bride who probably can't stop crying because her father's advice to her was pretty much, relax, who else will have you? She's fully aware that by the end of that week, the pretty sister that Jacob loved is going to be coming into the tent. The good news is, if you've ever found yourself disappointed, disillusioned, if you've ever found yourself broken-hearted and wondered, why am I never good enough? Take consolation in this. Even the broken are good enough for God. It says in verse 31 of Genesis 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he gave her a son. Imagine that. The creator of the universe, an invisible God, is so in tune with this individual broken heart that he sees that she's not loved. Whether Jacob realized it or not, whether Laban realized it or not, God knew and God loved. He has a special compassion for the abused, the unloved, and the rejected. She may have been disappointed in her father. She may have been rejected by Jacob. And she may have failed miserably in comparison to her little sister, Rachel. But she was about to be selected by God because he was going to give her children to love. The first son that she gave birth to was named Reuben. Indicative because God has seen my misery. She quickly figured out, though, that even though she thought having a child would make all the difference and maybe save her marriage, babies can't save marriages. She has a second child, Simeon, and she names him that because she says, God has heard my cry. It's kind of interesting, notice the, the progression, that God he sees that she's unloved, he sees her misery, but now with Simeon, he hears her cry. you got to be close to hear what somebody's saying. She gets pregnant the third time and gives birth to a son, Levi, because she's convinced, surely now, the third time's the charm, surely my husband will draw close to me. She still craves Jacob's heart. She still craves his approval of her. And then she gets pregnant for a fourth time, and you see again the progression, because when Judah is born, she states, now I will praise the Lord. There's quite a transition that happens there, because now she's no longer looking to Jacob for approval. She's no longer looking to Jacob for a sense of acceptance. But now, finally, she's looking to God himself for her sense of self-esteem. It's kind of interesting to know that this is the first time in the NIV that you actually read the phrase, praise the Lord. And it's from a woman who's learned to find peace 
from God instead of happiness from others. Leah may have lived her whole life feeling like she wasn't good enough, but she's grown now from being desperate enough to accept anything that anybody would give her and call it love to being willing to actually praise God for his blessings. Jesus would describe it this way in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, it's kind of an obscure, un seemingly unrelated passage. It's talking about the genealogy of Jesus. And it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. But if you look at it from the maternal genealogy of Jesus, Abraham's wife was Sarah. Isaac's wife was Rebekah. And Jacob, who was the father of Judah, Judah's mother was Leah. Sarah and Rebekah were known for their beauty. Rachel was known for her beauty. And then there was Leah. But Leah, even though she was never known as the pretty one, who was hated and despised by her husband, Leah was the one who was enabled by God to be chosen to be the ancestor of Jesus. God uses people that were never good enough. That sounds an awfully lot like a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The message about the cross doesn't make any sense to people who are lost. But for those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God at work. As Scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of all who claim to be wise. I will confuse those who think they know so much. And it says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put the wise to shame. He's chosen the weak things of this world to put the powerful to shame. What the world thinks is worthless, useless, and nothing at all, kind of like Leah felt about herself. Those are the things that God has used to destroy what the world considers important. God did all of this to keep anyone from bragging, you're God's children. He sent Christ Jesus to save us and to make us wise, acceptable, and holy. So if you want to brag, do what the scriptures say and brag about the Lord Jesus. You see, God has chosen the things that others have rejected. Even Jesus, rejected by some, has become the cornerstone of the very kingdom of God. Let me wrap up with this. Even if you've always been compared to others and felt like you were a bitter disappointment, even if you're in an unhappy marriage where you're miserable and nothing you do seems to be good enough, even if it seems like you try and try and try to please someone else and they're never happy, they're never satisfied, if you're brokenhearted and never felt more alone in your life, God sees, God hears, and God is at work because God uses people that others think were never good enough. Disastrous marriage, weddings, loveless marriages, a lifetime of heartbreak, just remember, God sees. God hears, and God is at work because God uses people, even people who don't believe they're good enough for God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. 
If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.